we are again. Here we are. Another edition of The Rant at Light Beer, Dark Money. I'm Chris Clements. And I'm Sean Noble. And this is the flagship episode of what are we, what are we calling this? Questions well, with Avery? We're calling this Deep Thoughts <laughs> with Avery Van Trump. <laughs> Welcome, Avery. Thank so, you. I mean, for those who, who don't know, we, we, brought, we record this at Canyon Ventures at Grand Canyon University, and we're really honored and pleased to do so that they give us this ability to do this. And we've highlighted some of the businesses here, but also we've been able to uh, bring on an intern uh, to help us out with some social media and some other branding exercises. Right. Her name is Avery. And uh, and so we thought of this idea of, you know, now that she's been with us for a couple weeks and seen what we're doing and what we're talking about, that maybe she has some questions. Yeah. yeah. And we have no idea what she's going to ask. Nope. Nope. <laughs> Buckle up. <laughs> I'm excited. Thank you guys for having me. It's fun to be able to ask you some questions. Um, I'm glad, Sean, you said there's no such thing as stupid questions because I might ask some of those. But I'm excited to get into it. No, stu- um, there are no stupid questions. No stupid questions. Keep saying that. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I kind of wanted to pick your brains and just get a little bit more insight and wisdom on life. Obviously, the idea of this podcast is faith, freedom, and free enterprise. So I kind of wanted to poke into that a little bit more and um, just get some more wisdom from you both. So I guess my main first point is... Um, I am currently a senior at GCU, and I just kind of wanted to ask some questions in regards to if you were in my shoes, knowing what you know now in the world of faith, freedom, and free enterprise, and just life, um, kind of like what would you have done differently if you were a senior in college and you could go back and tell yourself some things? So maybe go into specifically um, different areas with uh, faith, if you could go back and look at your faith journey and would you have changed anything starting out? Would you have sought out some different mentorship advice, um, gone different places with faith? I guess we can start there. Um, yeah, so so that question brings me way, way back <laughs> um, to this, to this, to the, to memories of feeling a bit out of sorts in my faith at at uh, the University of Southern California, where I went and I studied political science, uh, initially su- studying business. And um, I was, as I've, I've shared in other podcasts, I was kind of raised uh, Heinz 57, um, grew up in the Episcopal Church, and, and going to USC, I was exposed to folks um, at Campus Crusade, and uh, which is now called Crew, and I didn't really understand what it was. I didn't understand what, what they were talking about, this guy, Jesus, mm-hmm. and how you could have this intimate relationship with Jesus. You didn't have to necessarily go to church, uh, per se. You could actually come to a Bible study or, or come to um, a gathering and sing praise songs and have coffee afterwards. And, and uh, so at that time... Um, the guy who was leading crew, uh, and I would meet periodically, and I was always hesitant to just dive right in and sort of surrender to what 
to to those ideas because I was so into you know what what box you're in. You know, so what team are you on? Are you on the Catholic team? Are you on the Episcopal team? And I was kind of into my team at that point, but I wasn't living that out um, by any stretch of the imagination. I was in a fraternity and I was, you know, having fun living my fraternity life. But what was really interesting about that is that I had a lot of fraternity brothers who became born again during that time, born again Christian. I had no idea what that meant. No clue. I knew nothing about the passage in, in John where he says to Nicodemus, you have to become born again. That was not taught to me when I was a kid. And so I was really intrigued by that transformation. I mean, these were guys that, for all intents and purposes, I mean, drinking, using drugs, I mean, womenizing, and they find Jesus and they just go in a different direction. I'm like, well, what is that all about? How does that work? Yeah. And so I think that began my exploration of that um, more so, more deeply, um, and wanting to know more and wanting more knowledge about what, 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 how does that transformation take place? Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I didn't really grasp that too much later in life. And so I guess my, my, what I, I, I wish I had. I wish I had really dove into. I mean, God was working on me then, and with a lot of folks coming around me and wanting me to come to Bible study and wanting me to come to crew events and wanting to me to to be active in that faith environment, and um, I didn't do it, mm-hmm. and I didn't really start exploring that until I moved out to Washington D.C., where I. I Started hanging out with uh, my friend John Desser and a lot of folks who were involved in um, some fellowship out there, and and then I started understanding. Oh, okay, this is what it means. I started trusting it a little bit more, but in college I didn't. I didn't trust it, and I'm I, I'm I'm disappointed in myself on that. Well, I mean, it's interesting. It's an interesting question for me. It was I was pretty firm in my faith at that point, um, as as we discussed in our podcast on, on the episode on the faith journey my my faith journey has been kind of opposite of Chris's a little bit um, because I got married very young I was uh, I'd gone on my church mission and then started school got married between my freshman and sophomore year I was 21 mm-hmm. years old so I started school late because of going on a mission so by the time I was a senior I had a kid um, I was I'd taken time off to run John Shattuck's first campaign. So I was working in the congressional office during my senior year. So I had a very unconventional college experience, um, at least by most standards, by most standards. So, so I, were you living in student housing and married and didn't not? live in student housing. I was you didn't live in apartments, just live in apartments. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't be able to give you very, very good advice other than my advice to kids these days is do not get married <laughs> while, while you're in college. Wait until you're at least in your mid to late 20s at the very earliest, yeah. preferably 30-ish. Yeah. Because um, there's just so much that changes. I mean, I was a completely different person from when I got married to when I graduated from college. Yeah. I think that's it good advice. It's just completely different. 
and it, you know, that had its own pitfalls as evidenced by the failure of the marriage over the course of a number of years. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's super insightful. Um, I think it's interesting how uh, both of you kind of mentioned there's been like distinct almost people in your lives that have influenced that faith journey too. Um, like Chris, you said, when you're in college, you witnessed people, even though at the time you didn't necessarily go all in for your faith, you still um, observed people having that change and that influenced you. And whether you knew it or not, it seems like there was kind of seeds planted there where you're like, whoa, their life was completely different after that. And they're like, that's not the same person that I knew. So that kind of brings me to an, another question in regards to faith specifically. Um, who have been maybe your most influential people in your life in terms of faith, whether that's somebody that I know you guys have different faith journeys, but who's kind of pushed you um, in certain directions? Hmm. So the, I'm an, I have a two-part answer. Okay. Um, I would say that um, my grandfather has been a huge influence. Now, he was not a person of faith necessarily. He was, uh, I think he was raised Lutheran, um, but didn't really, was not really a believer um, and never really was his whole life. Um, but he was the complete opposite of what I, I was taught non-believers were, right? <laughs> non-believers were evil, yeah. you know, that there was something wrong. I mean, he was the kindest, most generous, most lovable, most loving human being that I ever knew. Um, I mean, he had a profound influence on, on who I am and how I view the world optimistically, you know, seeing the best in people first, you know, he, he has, his, he was not, he never judged. He took people, you know, the best of them and made it better. And he, but he wasn't a person of faith. Hmm. So it made me, he was someone that I would continually harken back to as I went through my faith journey saying, well, wait, Grandpa Stein was amazing. He was so much love and generosity. Um, and then I think the when it came to my faith um, and my faith journey, I think the most important influence was my mission president. Um, and for people who are not LDS, when you go on a mission, you're 19 years old, and that's uh, a crazy time to be, you know, isolated from your family, and you don't <laughs> date, and you don't, you know, it's very strict, right? And there's a a the mission president, who's a usually a someone who's either retired or very successful in their career, and they take three years off to go run a mission. And in this case, I was in Indiana, and um, and this his name is Richard Corey, mm. um, and he was just a giant of a man in the sense of profound relationship with Jesus Christ, and a an insane ability to look right into you and, you know, know exactly what it needed, you needed to hear. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So anyway, those are the two. Well, this, um, I think in our podcast about our, our faith journey, I touched on my grandmother 
Patricia, Pat, Grandma Pat, and um, she absolutely, when I was younger, like drilled into me this idea of Jesus and who he was and what, what role he should play in my life. And she signed every birthday card with scripture. Hmm. She would, you know, um, it was everything to her. And and her family too, her her sisters who I got to know. I mean, we used to, we used to make fun of them because they were so into you know their Jesus, and we just knew they were coming mm-hmm. for, from that perspective. Jesus freak, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, but you know, when she passed away, she passed away in her bed with her Bible by her side. Wow. And at ninety two, and that's just. To me, that's that's everything. Like, I hope when God decides to take me, that that's what He does. Bible by my side, read it for the evening, and 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 go. So I think that's one. But I think my formative years, where I really started um, exploring faith and exploring Jesus and and wanting to live out my faith, for me, music has been a guiding force in living out faith, praise. In fact, I always, um, I'm very critical when I go to church about the praise <laughs> band and who's on, who's not, who's in tune, who's, and I have an ear for that. And so when I was a kid, we didn't have, like right now you have all this Christian contemporary music mm-hmm. to choose from. Back in 1980. 80, 81, 82, you, you did not. <laughs> I mean, you just didn't have a lot to choose from. But there was a band that I that we all started listening to when I was about 11 or 12. And they were this little tiny garage band out of Dublin, Ireland called U2. <laughs> and what a lot of people don't know, like a lot of people are attracted to U2 because of their political beliefs or their their you know, their activism or whatever else. But back in 1981, 1982, they had this album called October, which was just a complete praise to God. Hmm. And in fact, if you, every U2 song has a piece of scripture in it. You have to look for it, but it's there. And they refuse to be called a Christian band, but they're probably the biggest Christian band in the world. And uh, and so Bono, for me, had a huge influence on just my approach to praise music. And I mean, even today, when I listen to some contemporary music, I, I hear so much U2 hmm. in Hillsong or in Casting Crowns or Phil Wickham. I mean, it's just... It's all there, and if you challenge those guys, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, they were the influence. Yeah, they, yeah. they were it. I mean, because for a whole bunch of us, that was the, you know going to a U two show is not a rock concert. It's it's like going to church. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. It's like whether you realize it or not, the things that you um, take in your diet is more than you know. People say this, but your diet is more than just food. It's also things that you're thinking on, things that you're reading, things that you're hearing, and subconsciously. Whether you realize it or not, that's going to have an effect on you. And I think that's definitely the case within music. Um, So that's super interesting. Grandparents leaving a legacy for both of you. That's really cool. 
Um, So kind of my next area focus is obviously we're talking a lot about faith, freedom, free enterprise, um, politics. And I kind of just wanted to ask really simply, um, how have you seen like a shift in politics over the course of your lifetime, but maybe even the time that just you've been more invest, both of you have just been more invested in politics. Like I've talked to my parents about this a few times as like for them, their grandparents, they, they never talked about just legislation, things like presidency. They would never talk about who they voted for. And that's my personal experience, what I've heard. Um, so I'm just curious, um, what you guys think as far as uh, the time that you've been in politics, how have you seen things ebb and flow and shift and, just as time has gone on in the world, like what are changes that you've seen as time's gone on since your experience in the political realm? It's gotten way nastier. Yeah, it's just the it's, the vitriol is. Yeah, I think we're both disappointing. Yeah, I think we're both on the same page on that. The 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 personal attacks mm-hmm. in politics has has gone way overboard. And well, and it's um, and it's also a the the us versus them mentality it used to be that you could be you could have you'd had politicians that had really strong friendships across the aisle you look at reagan and tip o'neill um you look at ted kennedy and orrin hatch i mean those guys were insanely close friends yeah um but completely on opposite ends of the political spectrum um, I mean, it, it, it's even in the House when when Shattuck was there, he had friends on the Democrat side. Um, Bob Stump was a great example of someone oh, who yeah. had great bipartisan um, ties, and it's just become such a. It, it's it, I say it's a game, but it's it's way more serious than that because it's the game of politics now is who can I, who can I, you know, vilify in order to appease my base, you know, for the Democrats, it's making fun of Cruz for Republicans. It's making fun of AOC. Um, you know, it's, uh, Washington has just become a cesspool of, of vitriol. Um, and you know, there's probably some, Bipartisanship, still. Um, I think Kirsten, Senator Sinema, uh, has friends on both sides, um, but it's it's pretty rare. I think, or at least it's not it's not as visible. If yeah. if there are friends, they <laughs> they probably well, hide that stuff. <laughs> it was really interesting is that uh, David Schweiker, who we've had on this podcast, uh, will has said to me very explicitly, and, and actually I've been with him when it's happened. So he will be, you know, um, with a, a, a friend of his who's very liberal, be having a conversation, agreeing, disagreeing, what have you. And then that, that same person say, you know, I, I think he might have said this on the podcast too. I have to go out in front of the cameras now and vilify your side. Mm. Because I have to raise money back home, based on what I'm saying, right? 
And that's the other thing about politics, that money, uh, the two-year fundraising cycle, having to raise millions and millions of dollars in a very short period of time, um, which, which if you're an incumbent is a lot easier, but you still have to do it. Um, part of that is, is, you know, for those, especially in competitive races, is getting on, you know, the, uh, the talk show circuit. And that means either going on MSNBC if you're on the left, or going on Fox News if you're on the right, and vilifying the other side, and then kind of crawling back into your your office and 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 trying to have relationships with people, um, because one truism is still true in, in D.C. Nothing gets done without relationships. Mm-hmm. Right. And John said that John Dester said that on the podcast um, last week. I mean, the relationships still have to exist. So you can vilify Ted Cruz all you want, but certain things are not going to get done without his support. Right. So you can vilify AOC all you want. And we did our share of that in one of our podcasts. <laughs> and that was a lot of fun. However, um, you know, there, there still needs to be, uh, it's all, it's all a fun in, in sport, but there, there needs to be some, some humility and, and some recognition that these are, these are people. Um, you know, um, I, you brought up John Shattuck and, and uh, when he was in Congress. I remember when we uh, we had a little get-together when he was retiring and Ann Kirkpatrick came and she said some, um, and who's a Democratic congresswoman from Arizona and representing now Tucson, uh, back then when she was still representing Flagstaff, and she said some amazing things about John. And, and it's that type of friendship, bipartisanship that's just missing. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, vitriol. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 I, I wanted to say it started. It started getting really bad with Bill Clinton. Okay. That's when it began. If there's a marker, I would say that presidency is when it happened. And um, it got a little bit. I mean, it, it got. It calmed down a little bit with Bush, but on the left, it was still pretty bad. Yeah. Um, it went full bore with Obama. And then with with Trump, it went off the rails. Yep. Yeah. yeah, it seems like I think this is common known fact too. But I think, especially with the introduction of social media, it seems like I think one of our previous guests even mentioned um, how it's kind of just become an echo chamber of when you're listening to the same um, news sources or seeing stuff on social media and the algorithms that produce um, like content, and you're seeing all the same. It's like just fueling the fire it seems like Mm -hmm. so um okay kind of with news sources well twitter's for twits (laughs) i mean it's just such a tumster fire yeah we're on twitter so don't hate it too bad (laughs) but but you can be semi-anonymous on on twitter and say whatever you want and then and then do it do whatever so yes um yeah kind of with news sources i wanted to ask just how do you navigate obviously you just mentioned msnbc fox and everything um there's so many news sources out there how do you find how do you navigate and filter your news um like obviously there's bias in lots of news sources how do you navigate and filter your different news sources and come to your own conclusions based off of what you see and hear and read that's a great question yeah it is a great question i um I don't. I don't watch TV. 
Um, so I very rarely see TV news. Um, and I don't really watch Fox or CNN or MSNBC. I mean, I'll watch CNN on election night. And I pick CNN because I want to I wanna see how the left <laughs> is seeing the world. <laughs> sure. Right? Um, the from daily news consumption, um, I mean, my go-to is Wall Street Journal. Obviously, I'll peruse the Republic, Arizona Republic, um, just see what's happening locally. And um, I'll read the Washington Post and the, and the New York Times. Mm. Those are my the ones that I have subscriptions to, I guess. I guess that's where I go. No yeah. newspaper anymore. No, it's, it's all online. online. It's all on your little supercomputer. So. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I guess from, I, 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 I read the Wall Street Journal probably cover to cover every day. Um, but I start with the opinion page uh, just to see their take on different issues. Sometimes I agree, sometimes I disagree. I have a subscription to the Washington Post. Um, always read the post. Uh, Politico, I like. I actually like Politico. Yeah, and actually, I've failed to mention that the I, I get the some of the daily newsletters yeah. that like Politico, um, Axios, yeah. AM with Mike Allen, who used to do Political Playbook. So I get Playbook and do you, do you read the Hill? Not much. Yeah, I still have like updates pop in from time to time. Um, but I'm a big opinion reader, so I try to, to read real clear politics, and and because I I enjoy getting they'll, they'll print you know a take from the right, a take from the left, and uh, on an issue, and just you can kind of scroll down and whatever issue you're you know is a hot button for you. In terms of TV, in the morning <laughs> we we have on the Today Show. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I don't consider that news. I I call it Hoda news because Kathy Lee and Hoda. Oh yeah, it's just it, it it's not news. And then um, and then and my wife, rightfully so, will cr- criticize me from watching too much Fox News. She goes, "Well, that's Fox News," and I don't really watch a lot of Fox News at all. I like um, there's two shows that I think um, do a decent job. One is Special Report with Brett Baer, I think, does a decent job of just recapping what's happened in uh, D.C. that day. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then doing a panel, which can be interesting or not interesting. And then um, over the last five, six, seven years, I've gotten to know Tucker Carlson fairly well um, with an event I put together in D.C. And so I'll watch or listen to him later in the, in the evening. Um, on occasion, but not all the time. Uh, and then uh, what I've really gotten into is uh, some of the Wall Street Journal podcasts that they have. Uh, Potomac Watch with um, uh, Bill McGurn and Kim Strassel is excellent. Mm-hmm. And that, that comes about twice a week. And then they have their, their daily sort of updates. And, I, and what's great now, I, I can get them in my car because my car has like an, a Wall Street Journal app. So I'll be driving home and I'll get sort of a recap of what's Perfect. happened. So it's good. Yeah, those are all really good. 
answers and different sources. I appreciate that you guys get a variety and it's not just one. So I appreciate those. And some of those I've never heard of, so I'm definitely going to look into them. Well, you also is a great um, piece and people, more people are turning it is the Federalist. Yeah, Federalist. Ben Dominic has done an yeah, amazing Ben's job. Yeah, Ben's done a great job. And uh, from both opinion and some hard news, and um, I, I enjoy reading The Federalist. That's a good one. And I also do uh, National Review. Well, I, I've been subscribing to National Review since I was 14 years yeah. old. No way. Yeah. So um, commonalities we have. My, uh-huh. my, my, Agree on something. So my, um, my dad got two magazines sent to our house when I was a kid, Forbes and Sports Illustrated. And I would steal his Forbes. And then I came to him and said, I want to get a subscription to National Review. And he looked at me like I had two heads. And I remember my first issue of National Review showed up. And the writing and the, and the opinion pieces, I mean, it was, it, was, it was more than I was prepared for at 14 years old. Yeah. And, um, and, yet I, and then I got a book for my for first-time subscriber. William F. Buckley's Right Reason. And I just thought it was the coolest thing. That's awesome. And I've I've been an NR subscriber ever since. That's awesome. Um, you mentioned nothing gets done without relationships in the political world. I think also that's definitely true of life. Um, and I kind of wanted to just ask, recently I've been really thinking about mentorships and um, going after people. And I feel like there's so much wisdom out there, even – um, a verse I've been thinking on is Proverbs sixteen sixteen, and it says, how much better to get wisdom than gold to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. Um, but I just think I know that there's so much wisdom out there and I've just been trying to personally navigate how do I get more wisdom from other people that have been in the world longer than me and have more life experience. And so I kind of wanted to ask how maybe just your personal experience going through life, how have you navigated building relationships and mentorships? So maybe you meet somebody that you think is, they got it going on, like they know their stuff and you want to become friends with them. How do you navigate becoming a closer friend with them or even like just the practical elements of just asking them out to coffee and like, how do you continue those friendships and those relationships to become tighter knit and just develop more networking in a sense too. And that's a broad question, but <laughs> that is a broad question. <laughs> yeah. Or you like know, a specific example in your life of somebody that you've asked to be a mentor or somebody that's taken you under their wing and that's been influential for you and how that relationship has worked. You know, my, my dad uh, always told me that, that everyone <laughs> And everyone puts their pants on the same way. Yeah. So it doesn't matter who you meet, as enamored as you might be by them, they have their own faults, their own failures, their own issues. And because I was always amazed at how connected sort of he was and all these relationships that he had. And so I've never really forgotten that. So I've always, whenever I've met someone, um, I, I've always just treated them like a person. And and if there's if there's a connection, or if I feel like I want to learn more, I think being fearless, being persistent, has its has its virtues. And so, uh, so many of my relationships with folks is just me picking up the phone after I've met them and say, "Hey, do you have time for coffee?" Or can I come see you? 
And nine times out of ten, they say, "Yeah, sure. Yeah, well, what would you like to do?" And and for a lot of on, on the political side, especially, that's how I've gained most of my relationships is meeting somebody, um, being in D.C., picking up the phone, sending an email, hey, I'm in town, would love to go grab lunch with you, follow up on our conversation from like two years ago or something. <laughs> and I've just networked and gained a lot of insight and friendships that way. Okay. Um, I, I, it's a great question and one that I feel like I was pretty lucky in that I didn't necessarily have to pursue some of the best mentors that I had. I, I just happened, you know, John Shattig has been a, you know, a huge mentor for me in my life. I mean, I was 23 years old when I went to work for his campaign. And, um, and so working for his campaign and then him becoming a member of Congress gave me avenues to people that I would have never had because I was a staffer to a congressman. And so, you know, people, if I wanted to talk to them, they would talk to me. Uh, I felt very lucky by that. But my, you know. And but, al but also you knew what you were talking about. And uh, I think there's. Sometimes. There's, <laughs> yeah, but I think there's value in actually knowing your stuff. Mm -hmm. But he, you know, he did, he, he did a very good job of, of mentoring me um, just by being a great boss. Um, and, and when I say great, I mean challenging. I mean, he, he pushed me, and that was exactly what I needed. Um, he had a very close friend who's now a close friend of mine, Alan McGuire, who was, has been a phenomenal mentor, um, just a, a guy so wise, um, just great advice every time we talk. Um, and because of the time that, that Shattig and Alan McGuire put in to me, in forming my early days, um, I've just made it a practice that if anyone wants to talk, I'll take the time. I mean, you know, yeah. if they call and say, I want to pick your brain, and yeah, I'll try to as, as often as I can, it's particularly young people who are, you know, you know want to get, get, get involved in politics or whatever. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, in terms of influences and my approach and, and, Definitely my dad, seeing how he, he took every meeting. People out of the blue would call him up and who he maybe met once and they wanted a, some advice. And then he had a really good friend who was probably my biggest mentor other than my dad, a guy by the name of Dave Sitton, who was the rugby coach for the University of Arizona for 36 years and was actually our first vice president of marketing back in the Golden Eagle days. And... Um, I just remember he passed away in 2013, um, but he was always there, and he was always trying to instill wisdom in me. And, and the way he approached people too was really unique. I mean, he he commanded a room. He 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 made everybody feel really good. Hmm. That was his his gift. He ran for Congress, lost to Martha McSally in the primary, but um, and there's reasons for that. I mean, that's another podcast. Yeah. But uh, yeah, those, I mean, just just you know, fatherly influences for sure, uh, and the way is I think a, a huge part of you know getting over those fears of approaching other people and and 
and uh, and, and looking to uh, to engage. Yeah, those are really good points. Thank you for saying that. I think something I've been trying to overcome recently is just like that idea that it's if you don't ask, you never know what's going to happen. Like if you don't shoot, you can't score. Um, so yeah. I just think like overcoming that fear of asking, and I think people are so much more willing to give than you expect. And I, I heard this leadership like podcast recently and it was somebody saying too, like when you ask somebody to pick their brain, it's like when you ask that question, it's phrasing it almost in a way like you don't have anything to give either and you want to pick someone's brain and get their opinions and stuff, but like you have something to offer them too. So it's like cool to go into that conversation and um, have an expectation you're going to get something out of it and just go into it very humbly and seek it out. If you don't ask, you don't know. Right. So, yeah. well, and I've, and I've, I, that's one way, one of the reasons that I'll meet with people who I don't know or who want to pick my brain is that I'll always learn something. And, you know, one of the things I've said to a lot of people in Washington, particularly, is that you need to treat everybody well. Yeah. Um, from top down all the way to the intern. Because you never know when you're going to need that person. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've had former staff, staffers of mine that were below me, so to speak, in the hierarchy, that have gone on to do really remarkable things and be in oh, positions yeah. that were like, hey, that's really impressive. And I mean, I've never really needed anything, but if I did... I could call them because I wasn't an asshole to them. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you bring up you bring up a really great point about even just navigating Washington, right? Navigating politics in general, you, you treat everyone the same. You treat the staffer the same as you do the member, because they actually can do more for you hmm. than the member. Yeah, particularly and, the and scheduler. So whenever, yes. Yeah, especially the schedulers. So whenever I walk into a congressional office, I always make sure like literally the person sitting behind the desk is an intern or whatever. And, Hi, how are you? How's your day going? Where are you from? All those things. I'm here to see the congressman or it's congresswoman and, and ask them about them. And invariably things go much smoother for you <laughs> in the office. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a congressional office and you get some, you know, gamut of people coming in and they treat the staff horribly. Oh, yeah. It's and then they wonder why they're not meeting with the member. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And and good members defend their staff. Absolutely. The I mean Shattuck was man, if somebody got on his staff, he was in their face. He was very, very defensive. No, absolutely. Um, and that was just it was great for morale. Well, I mean and I was an intern. I interned for uh, a United States senator. So I, I got to see that and I got to be, I mean, I remember answering the phones at the patent subcommittee of the judiciary, people <laughs> yelling at me about things I knew nothing about. But, you know, uh, yeah, well, the senator will maybe get back to you. Thank you. Click. Yeah. Uh, we'll see if we can get back to you. Right. We'll see if you'll get that appointment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that that's that's true in business. That's true with, with, with anything. And um, and a lot of people forget that. Mm -hmm. Very well said. Oh, um, I kind of just have 
kind of a fun thing just to maybe wrap it up a little bit. This has um, been great. Yeah. yeah. We, we need to make this a, a common feature. Yeah, I'm in. Um, kind of my last thing on just general things, getting to know you guys better. What's kind of like maybe one or two like simple pleasures in life that you enjoy that are like simple things so like for me I enjoy drinking my coffee in the morning and just having like a few minutes in the morning before the day gets crazy before I look at my phone I always have my hot coffee even in Arizona in the heat I love my hot coffee in the morning I drink it and then like have my quiet time in the morning before the day starts so what are maybe some of those like simple pleasures simple things in life maybe that's time with your family or whatever it may be that you just enjoy um we have a porch which is unusual for for arizona and my wife bought some rocking chairs okay to go on the porch and one of the very simple pleasures i enjoy is precisely that sitting on the porch in the morning especially if it's a nice morning with my coffee um with my dog and just watching the world go by, just listening to the sounds of the morning. Mm. There's something to be said for that. Yeah. Is that front or back porch? It's a front porch. Okay. And we have a little courtyard, and and we have these kind of cool, comfy little rocking chairs. And um, when the weather was still nice, I would go out in the evenings and watch kind of the sunset and just be rocking. Mm. <laughs> and my wife would come out and go, what are you doing? Watching the world go by. <laughs> it's perfect. Enjoying the weather under 90 degrees. Yeah, back then it was like in the 70s still. I don't know. Right. This, this is perfect. Um, I think that, uh, well, for me right now, having Vincent, I get up yeah. early in the morning with Vincent. Um, he's just over a month old now. And just holding him, yeah. just sitting there. Usually drinking either coffee. I do a couple cups of coffee first, um, and I drink it on the side. I don't don't drink right over him because I don't mm -hmm. want to spill hot <laughs> coffee on him. I would get in a lot of trouble for that. Ooh, I'm flaking out because of my sunburn. Um, but I also love my my guilty pleasure is uh, Monster Energy drink. Okay. The Ultra Zero. Oh my. Blue can. Oh my gosh, I love it. It's, I don't know, it's an acquired <laughs> taste, but man, you should see my uh, garage fridge. It's usually jam-packed. Oh, I'm sure it is, but it is. You'd be better off just drinking coffee. Well, I do drink don't coffee. Spill, don't spill Monster. Well, I don't want to do that. Who knows what will happen. <laughs> right. But, you know, yeah, so. I see a common theme with coffee. I think we need more coffee around here. Do you have not a mistaken. I do not have a rock. Well, I've got a. A glider, okay. the inside, you know, it's yeah for rocking the baby. But no, I need to, I, I need to get a rocking We're chair. We're old for, enough now that you know, I need to get a rocking chair for outside. There That's a go. good idea. Well, those are the main main things I have. Thank you guys for uh, talking with me today and letting me on the podcast. <laughs> Never thought I'd see the day, but here I am. There you <laughs> go. Yeah, she did great. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks for being here on our. First episode or version of Deep, Deep Thoughts, Thoughts with, Avery, with Avery, the intern. Thanks, Avery. Thank you. Thanks, Avery. Thanks everybody. Bye. God bless. Bye.